Welcome to the Humanise the Numbers podcast series. Leaders, managers and owners of ambitious accounting firms sharing insights, successes and issues that will challenge you and connect you and your firm to the ways and means of transforming your firm's results. People think being vulnerable and not knowing how to manage something is a negative, weak thing. But actually, it's the opposite. You know, if you're going to be courageous and take your business or your style a different way, we will feel super vulnerable to start with. But I think just having the courage to say, "Okay, this is all new. I honestly think if you allow your mind to, to feel safer and to say to yourself, it's all right, it's okay to not feel okay." You start to change that instead of living in the fear of I can't do it, I don't know how to do it, I'm not that sort of person, how on earth am I going to do it? Just by being able to be almost kinder to yourself. How can accountants lead and manage change successfully when said change is being resisted, whether it be resisted by their team, their clients or even their fellow leadership team? We don't discuss change specifically on this podcast with Alison Blackliff from Two Minds, but we do dive into strategies and processes and frameworks that enable you and your team to manage change, the difficulties of change in a much more effective and personal, if not human way. Let's go to that podcast now. Today, I'm joined by Alison Blackliff from Two Minds. Welcome, Alison. And to kick off, please would you just give us your backstory, your experiences? Because this time we're not talking to an accountant, we're talking to someone quite different. So um, please, Alison, uh, your background, please. Hi, thank you for having me on your show, Paul. Um, my background, I predominantly worked in the NHS. I did 24 years in the NHS as a therapist. So I was trained as a counsellor and cognitive behavioural therapy. So I worked alongside GPs, I worked in... Uh, areas where I specialised, domestic violence. I worked in drugs and alcohol for five years with heroin users. Um, I've worked in prisons, I've worked in schools, I've worked in public health and safeguarding. So for 24 years, I was working in different departments, but always working alongside people. So my fascination, no doubt, here is people. I Uh, 10 years ago, I left the NHS and I set up a business called Two Minds. And now I I'm a mind coach because I support and help people work with their minds. I work with teams and leaders doing facilitation and groups. I also work in prisons uh, still and uh, basically anywhere where there is a mind, I can pop up and hopefully help them. (laughs) And every human in theory has got a a mind of some description, Alison, even accountants, we could say. Um, Alison, so you've you've worked with uh, different leadership teams. So the, the, whoever's listening to this podcast is typically a manager or leader of an accounting firm. Um, I'm wondering, um, is there what are the significant differences between, say, the leader of a business and um, someone who's stuck in prison or someone who's struggling in a school? I'm just trying to. Is there a bridge that we can build here that's relevant to uh, the accountants listening to the podcast? I think there is. I mean, you, people often think of different situations create, they're obviously going to create different um, challenges. So if you are in prison compared to if you were a leader of a business, yes, there's going to be different challenges. But actually, in a strange kind of way, because the mind works in very similar ways, 
Um, we respond in very similar ways emotionally. We have the same mechanism for dealing with um, threat. We are mm. all actually in the same boat, really. It's just depending on what's surrounding you. And for me, when we can help people understand how their mind work, wherever you are, whatever mm. your challenge, you will have a benefit from that. Mm. It's interesting. I, I, I remember when I'm, I'm walking back 20 years now, um, reading some books about the way the brain worked. It was almost as if I could be more productive as a consequence of realising and appreciating and understanding how the brain is wired and what that this amazing tool is doing for me or not doing for me that I want it to do. It's because there's, there's a, you know, there's a programming element I'm, I'm, I'm hoping you're going to suggest here. Um, otherwise, we're just who we are and we can't change it. You know, there's that old story, isn't it? The... Um, uh, what's the Henry Ford? You know whether you think you can or you can't. You're absolutely right. Um, so can we change it, Alison? Can we change this mind of ours, that this brain of ours, so that actually it serves us better? And if yeah. we can, how? We definitely can. Um, the the I always think of it as it isn't a powerful kit, powerful piece of machinery that we've got, and we've all got one. It doesn't matter who you are. It's not about intelligence. It's not about those kind of things. We've all got this powerful piece of kit that can hold us back or can let us go. Uh, and I think the there is no manual. You know, they don't. They, we don't come with a manual. We are all different, and we are all affected by different things in different ways. And for me, when you say how can we change it? Yes, there's lots of things that need to happen to really change an old habit or a limiting belief. But for me, if we just become curious. And become, but get aware of what's happening, then I believe that you're 80% there to change in anything. So awareness, just appreciating that you've had that response to a situation. So, you know, your, man, your boss says to you, can I have a word? And just appreciating what happens to you and, and just becoming aware can change everything. So have you, have you, can you drag out one or two examples of where someone in, in a variety of backgrounds, maybe one or two, maybe a corporate background and an A and other background where simply uh, being aware of what's going on has actually helped them become more successful or more balanced and more able to enjoy what they're doing? Um, loads of examples. Um, had one just a couple of weeks ago, actually, uh, working with a, a chief exec of um, a fairly small organisation, it's about 52 staff, and she had no appreciation of the impact that she had on her team. When she spoke, she, had no, she hadn't really thought about what it might be like for them. And just by exploring kind of what it was like for her, that realisation, actually everyone isn't thinking like me, was absolutely huge for her. And it sounds almost so simple, and yet it was yeah. just so profound for her. Um, let me think of another example. So when, how did she come to the realisation that everyone isn't thinking the same way that she's thinking? Well, partly my coaching approach is to put a, a spotlight on things for people. But also mm -hmm. I, do sh I do share some of the, the science if it's appropriate in the session. So sometimes I might be giving some information. And I think quite often I do find myself reminding people that we aren't all thinking the same. Uh, mm -hmm. And when you talk about the difference with prisons, I remember saying that many times to the groups in prisons and almost that light bulb moment of like, oh, is this why I'm here? Because, <laughs> because I, I, I might have expected people to respond in a certain way and, oh, they didn't. 
How surprising is that? So I think sometimes we are all walking around a little bit with blinkers on. Mm. I think we, we do expect people to respond in the way that we would. Mm. Uh, I think it, I think it's an auto response to us all as humans. But mm. for me, the more you can actually just step back and be curious that that might not be the case, uh, that you've started a journey of, of changing how people will then get your information. And then also the whole piece then is around how you then communicate. So there's two things going on. There's appreciating that it might not land as you wanted it to, but we've also got a lot of skills we can learn about how we communicate to each other. And is there any flexing that we can do? You know, some people have very solid ideas. This is how we do it and we're not Mm going to flex. If we can be more flexible, then we can probably speak to more people more successfully. Yeah, that lends itself to that piece, isn't it? The, the the more adaptable we are, the less maybe stressed we would be. Uh, but can we learn that adaptability, Alison? I think so. I think I think some of it's about trust. Some of it's about trusting yourself. You know, almost trusting yourself that you can adapt. And and you, if you've had a, a way of doing something in in a certain way, and and you've always done it, and it's kind of worked. And you're almost so rigid to that. You're a bit, you know, if you use a metaphor, you're a bit like a, an oak tree. You're solid, mm. you're strong. This is how we do it around here. And, and it works. But mm. actually, more now today than ever, those things don't work. I think being able to dare to flex, I think as a leader, being able to have the courage to listen to your team and think they've got some great ideas. Let's open our thoughts into how we can take on board some of the ideas that teams have. Because... Mm. Because sometimes we don't do that as leaders, you know, it's like, no, this is how we do it. And yet, you know, for me, that employee voice, giving people the autonomy to come up with some great ideas, let have the courage to run with them. Even if they don't work out, have the courage to run with them. That flexibility, that adaptability will make you a, a great leader and a, a, probably a happier person. Autonomy is... Um an interesting subject isn't it because if we look at my experience of you know knocking on the door of 20 years of working with the leaders and managers of accounting firms is um there seems to be a desire to retain and maintain control as opposed to allow people to um do their thing in their way uh, as opposed to maybe, now this is the system, this is the checklist, this is what we have to do. Now, I'm going to contradict myself in a little while, but um, we could argue that the caricature of a, you know, a leader of an accounting firm has got this a desire to maintain control, and you may see that in other CEOs, I'm guessing, as opposed to, no, hang on a second, what if, what if we could provide an environment where there's more autonomy for more of the people, more of the time, everyone would win what 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 are your thoughts on on my thinking there i think there is a real balance because at the end of the day if you are the leader you are the leader you know there's a reason why you're there you either own the business or you've you've worked your way up and you're in charge i think people um are so different that some people respond better by being told what to do and they prefer that right so you'll ha- so you'll have in your workforce people who just want to be told do this uh, in this way and they'll be quite happy 
But you'll also have in there lots of people who are very creative, who are full of ideas, who feel very stifled and very stuck. And I think it is a balance between being able to flex again. It's that adaptability piece, isn't it? Thinking, how can I support everyone who is different in my team so that everyone feels? Because if you went and said to the person who was just quite happy to do whatever they need to do each day, that give them the scope for being creative, they will feel stifled mm. too and I think that's always the skill is that one size doesn't fit all um, and I think it's how we how as a leader you you flex and be able to give people the chance to but ultimately the book does stop with you you know so for me mm. it's that communication around we'll we'll try things but ultimately the decision might come back down to me so people know I think it, it's always that no surprises that autonomy piece, we all like to have some level of control mm. in things that we're doing. If everything is told to us, look at the coronavirus situation, look at what's happened to us all. We were all told what we could and couldn't do. And it's put us all into some interesting uh, emotional and mental states. Uh, which, yeah, absolutely, uh, <laughs> has challenged us all for sure. Uh, so you, you, you bring up the magic question, how? So how, how does... A, a, any leader or manager, but obviously I'm interested from a, an accountant's perspective and an accountancy firm's perspective, is how how do you spot whether someone is happy to be essentially told what to do as opposed to someone who wants a greater degree of autonomy, for example? What's the um, what's the tool? What's the framework? How, how how does someone who's managing a team of people, you know, see the differences, spot the differences, and and then obviously respond to those differences? The first thing always has to be is you've got to look at your style first. So with any, when you're trying to work out how someone else is responding, you, you've got to be really clear on what your style is. So are you somebody who is expecting people to just do what you say or are you looking towards people? Because quite often people are saying, oh, yeah, I want my team to do different things, but you're not leading in that integrity. You know, you're not walking your talk. You're not thinking about it. So for me, always, if you're going to make any changes with especially leading people uh, or managing people, we've got to look at our own style first. But after right. that, you can usually tell because it, you can tell by what, what sort of things people come and ask you. You know, who, who's, the, who's the staff member that's constantly at your door saying, can, I just, can you just check this for me? Can I, can I just ask you this? Versus the one who doesn't come and ask and just seems to get on with things. And you can sort of unconsciously see. Or what, the thing I always think is the most obvious thing, ask Mm. You know, I think this idea that we, we don't ask one another what we need um, in leadership. And when I do a lot of the leadership programs that I run, people are suddenly like, oh, yeah, you know, almost. Why don't we ask these questions of people? There's almost a fear of, of oh, I don't want to get too personal. And, you know, asking those feelings questions. How do you feel about this? You know, people often are running away from that in business. And yet, mm. you know, to quote your uh, strap line, you know, humanize the numbers. I mean, these people are the people who get the numbers done. And mm. if we don't spend time working out what, what they need and what, they, what might help them be better uh, in their work and be better versions of themselves, uh, we, we, don't, we miss out. We miss mm. lots of information there. So what, if, if I've heard you right, what you've said there is um, first it's self-awareness, my style. Yeah. Then it's uh, be curious to pick up on something you said earlier, be curious about them and their style. Um, 
and one of the aspects is autonomy but presumably there are other aspects that we're looking for it's not a one horse race is it this uh, it's either control or autonomy that's it's not a one horse race is it no not at all it's not that simple I wish. If it was, yeah, it would be yeah. easy, wouldn't it? I mean, people yeah. are so complex, aren't they? You just never can predict. And this is this whole thing about where we unconsciously assume that somebody's going to do everything that we've asked them to do. And then and then we're shocked that they don't. You know, and I think that's that where it gets really interesting. And that's what I love. You know, there's nothing greater for me than a team where it almost isn't working very well. And then we can really start to look at why and what isn't happening. But I think the whole idea of just creating an environment where people feel able to come and talk, you know, be able to think about how people respond. Naturally, whatever your style is, you will get on better with the people who have a similar style to you. Right. So obviously there can often be a clash. Um, and I often hear, you know, I will often get involved in a business because there's a problem. Yeah. So I might get called in because there's a problem uh, and I might get asked to coach somebody within the business. But actually, the, you look at the leader's style and there's the problem. Uh, right. and, and, you know, yeah. that gets prob- that can, that <laughs> can get uncomfy. Yeah, yeah. Where's yeah. the root cause of the issue? It's them. No, it's not. It's you. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And I've had yeah. to have I have had some of those difficult conversations with people where yeah, they said, you know, it's all very well sending yeah. sending me to work with your your um, colleague, your, your staff member. But actually, hold on a minute. You know, I think there's some issues at the top. <laughs> mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm still digging around for this uh, sort of uh, sorry a usable framework. You know, it's like autonomy and control uh, is is one component, is one aspect of difference. So my style is um, is is I, I, oh, I don't know. You might have thoughts on this. Just uh, I guess I should flag this up. I've I've got Alison working with me one on one to improve what I'm doing and working with my team as well. And my sense is, my I'm not a, a control. I, I, I'm not bothered about control. It's about get the get the work done, and the people in the team are the best people to get the work done. Um, but I know that it's different for, and I look at different people that I've worked with over the years, and can see actually, the if I just told them what to do, they were happy. And then if I look at someone else, if I told them what to do, they were really not happy because they want to. Um, you know, bring some initiative and, and sense of autonomy to the piece. But autonomy is one element. What 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 other elements are there that we can be looking out for, for some sort of framework, Alice? Well, I think one of the models that I use, which um, is based on neuroscience, which I've mentioned to you already, Paul, is the SCARF yeah. model. And the SCARF model SCARF. helps SCARF, and it's so it's an acronym. Um, yeah. David Rock is the neuroscience and he um, published this model in 2009 based Mm. on a lot of research. He plugged a lot of people in and put them into social or work-based situations. And he came up with this acronym SCARF and autonomy is the A in SCARF. But some of one of the pieces that I see all the time in this model is certainty. Certainty is huge. Your human brain is a certainty making machine. That said, there are some people who absolutely need so much detail, so much certainty to be able to do their job. And others Mm -hmm. can do the big picture and they're much more comfortable just going with it and picking that up. I think there's Mm -hmm. often a lot of information about the differences with how people cope and how people perform based on whether they've got clarity or not. That's another area. Clarity being certainty, therefore. Yeah, having enough information about the job, about the task you're asking them to do. And uh, this is, um, 
if we look at the uh, role of, a, of and the work of an accountancy practice, um, they're big into certainty because, you know, the numbers add up or they don't add up. Um, they're sharing uh, historical data with their clients and it's fact, it's not fiction, it's not, there's no ambiguity attached to it. it is, you know, here's your set of annual accounts which tells you how your last financial year did or the last quarter, here's your tax return, here's the tax amounts. There's no ambiguity there. There's absolute concrete certainty. You know, obviously nothing's 100%, but you know, near as damn it. Uh, as opposed to, I think, what where the profession is heading is um, to a place where the the and, and I look at the firms that are, are, are achieving higher average fees and, and and doing work that they really really enjoy and, and and value. We're on that journey from sort of compliance to advisory style work, and in that space, there's lots of uncertainty, which doesn't necessarily suit the way accountants are trained or suit the people who are typically. Uh, engaged with accountancy at the start of their careers. What, so what, 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 what do we do to help accountants make that shift from being absolutely comfortable and happy in a world of certainty to one where they, they actually feel happy and confident in a world of ambiguity and uncertainty? What, how do we help them with that? Well, obviously, the human brain is looking for certainty all the time. I think it's fair to say that these challenges for anybody are going to be ones that need managing. So yeah. that's the first thing to say is we have to think about that they do need managing. And again, the piece is if something's happened that feels uncertain, it's just being conscious that you have an unsettled feeling with it. That's the first right. thing if it was working on an individual basis. But I think in my experience of working with accountants, I think that is almost a bigger challenge for them because they're, everything about their role is certain, as you say. And, yeah. you know, that's in the wrong column or that's the wrong number. That, you know, obviously I'm not, uh, I haven't got all the speak, but yes. um, that kind of thing. And I think when I, when I look at how people are then managed, because people aren't predictable, because mm. people aren't, they, there is no clarity. I yeah. think that almost becomes harder for people managing accountant staff, accountancy staff. Whereas mm. if, when I look in other areas where I work, so I work, I work with a senior leadership team in a hospital trust, for example. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying they're great at managing their people because I'm not saying that at all, but yeah. they are so used to that they, they're in charge of the whole of a hospital. So they've got A&E, they've got, they're so used to unpredictability. Mm. They're almost at the other end of the spectrum where they are still not dealing with their people very well, but they're so used to everything changing every minute of every day. They're not rooted and grounded either. And I almost feel like there's those two massive differences with accountancies who are used to having the, the detail and the clarity and the information and it's got to be right and if it's not in the right box it's game over and then you yes. try and, and then you try and put that into managing people and of course yeah. it just doesn't work it really just doesn't work because people are very unpredictable and I again I'm not sure that I answered your question just yet but yeah I'm not sure you have either but that's you know we'll get there we'll get there Alison I've been ambiguous <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm very funny <laughs> no, I'm not, yeah. I'm, it, not. Uh, I'm trying to answer uh, your question yeah 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 but there's that um, you, you know people are unpredictable so you can look at your team you can manage the work which is Right, right number, right column. But managing the people—that's not necessarily right person, right column, right number. No, uh, that—that's different. But also, wh what I'm suggesting here is when you raise the volume of client interaction, 
because you know if there's an issue here with the profession in terms of where where the where the profession's trending where it's heading is uh, less compliance work because the technology's taking over and is is a, is much better by the way of putting the right number in the right column in the right way and i know as soon as i say that the, the accountants listen to this going, no 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 but that's but you know when the when it does it well it does it very well and it does it faster and and so on it's creating to the technology is going to create the time for more people to have more conversations with more clients more often. Yeah. Therefore, we're going to trend from looking backwards to, at, from, at, at historical data to looking forwards to, well, we haven't got data about the future. We're, it's unpredictable. And maybe we, from an advisor point of view, need to be helping clients make better decisions with better information at their disposal. So, yes, we can do a cash flow forecast, but that's ambiguous. There's uncertainty built into every forecast there's, that's ever been made and yeah, yeah. accountants are uncomfortable in that space and that stresses them out and and I know I'm creating a bit of a caricature here so forgive me but it's I'm, I'm actually looking for what what tools can we share what can you that you can share that helps them a and you mentioning awareness a lot on this podcast you know, it's that consciousness of where the, the challenge but what tools to deal with that ambiguity stress have you have you got for us i'm looking for the magic wand here alison okay just, <laughs> there's so many options of where how where to put someone's attention um i think something that occurred to me when you were just coming back to it is or and i know it's something that is um, important to you is having the purpose of what is the future right and ha but having everyone aligned to that but often you often find that staff don't really know the, the purpose of what the future is going to look like. And that's partly because the manager or the leader hasn't quite got clear on that. So I'll see a lot of managers, leaders who they, they sort of know, you know, they know where they're going. But again, mm. does everybody else know where they're going? And, is, and that includes the customers and all the staff. Because mm. if you haven't got that clear, um, almost like a sort of strategic narrative for want of a better word, I can't think of a better word, but almost yeah, like no, that, 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 that clear vision. But that strategic narrative needs to include the story of w what got them here. Because right. if, every, if, if, a, if a leader is clear on what got you here, people are much more likely to align themselves to that story. So even if your story was that you started off in your back bedroom and, you know, you've grown and grown and grown, it, that people love that kind of, again, human story about things. And often yeah. I see... Um, when we don't know where we're going and that uncertainty in the future is having that clear strategic narrative, that's clear story, what's got us here and then purpose, where are we going? Why are we going there? And maybe mm. that might help people when they haven't got the, the finite detail. Yeah, yeah. So the, the, the backstory again, we've got certainty about the backstory, but we've got uncertainty about where we're going. And I think maybe that's why... Uh, the strategic conversations with accountants can sometimes be uh, challenging too. Because, mm. And it's interesting, one, one of my colleagues today is having a, a strategic session with uh, a two-owner firm, and uh, we, we asked them to do a questionnaire in advance. And, and, and I was reading the emails before the session today just to see um, uh, what uh, uh, my colleague Douglas was having to face. And they really struggled with the questions in and around what's the purpose of the business? What's the raison d'etre? Why are you here? What, what, what does the world miss if you die tomorrow? It's, and it's, oh, God, it's really hard. <laughs> yeah. Um, but what but you're I think saying that is, is hard. 
Yeah. I think it is hard. I think you put people, I've done it before where I've done sessions with teams, leaders in a room, and I think it is, it is quite hard for people to think like that. Mm. Um, it, you know, I think for the human brain, it is, you know, it'll do anything to avoid hard work if it can. And actually mm. having to think quite hard about where you're going and why you're going there, I think is quite a difficult mm. thing for, for humans to do. But for me, it's about having that clear what got us here. So I always, I always use the metaphor, if you go into a big uh, shopping centre and you mm. go and find the big map with the big yellow you are here arrow, if you mm. haven't got that, then you, well, how can you know where you're going? Because you, you've, you, that big you are here thing is so vital. Yeah. But it has to be shared with every single member of this team. And the other thing I see a lot of challenges around is they don't share it with the new people. So you might have shared it at one point. You might yeah. have done three years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You might have done a big... I, in fact, I was talking to somebody yesterday and she they said they'd done a big values and vision piece seven years ago. And I said to her, how many <laughs> members of... How many members of staff have you got new since then? She ju- and she just went, she just looked at me and went, um, loads. So all yeah. those people don't know about that. And I think yeah. that really anchors people. People want to know what, you know, again, if we use another metaphor, what ship are they on? What got the ship here? I want to be part of it. And people will then go the extra mile because they really, really want to be part of this brilliant story, this brilliant journey that's grown and is still growing and people mm. that want to align themselves to that they get excited by being mm. aligned to something that has got growth in it is that is that more prevalent in different age categories in your experience Alison you know is the younger people more akin to that as opposed to older people is there an age I guess issue it- here I guess in some instances, yeah, you know, if you're at the beginning of your career, then you you might have a bit more energy. But I still think if you're part of something that's going somewhere, mm. pe- we like that, mm. you know, and, and I think a lot of people do look for that in their work because yeah. in their home life, it might not be like that. Um, so yeah, I think yeah. a lot of people feel I that having a sense of purpose is is the thing really that glues us all together. And that's why so many people have struggled in this last year, because mm. we've lost a lot of our sense of purpose. Mm. So for me, having the ambiguity, having the certainty and the not ambiguity about some of that vision will help people feel settled. It'll help the mind mm. feel settled. And now that's what we're looking for, isn't it? To be able to settle people's minds. Yeah, and there's a piece of research, and I, I refer to it very often, and it's, I don't know how many times I've referred to it in this in the podcast series, but certainly every firm we've ever worked with, we end up talking about a Sorota research study, which has been growing over years, and there's got something like 13.6 million employee surveys around what do you do to drive an enthusiastic team, and it talks about three senses, sense of fairness, sense of camaraderie, and a sense of achievement. And if I can just build the sense of fairness, one of the key components of the sense of fairness is that sense of job security, certainty. And what I'm hearing from you saying, if, if, if everyone in the business, including customers for that matter, because they also want a sense of certainty, have got a real sense as to your central theme, the purpose, the vision of your business, uh, they're going to feel a greater sense of job security as an employee. And, you know, the loyalty of your clients maybe also connect with that. And um, therefore, again, we've got another layer of uh, job security built in. Um, 
Yeah, interesting that we end up talking about the sense of purpose of businesses with someone who's a mind expert. But that, yeah. I think that's, that's brilliant. It's critical. Yeah, I think yeah. the other thing, I just want to say there, I think the other thing that's really critical for leaders is if there is ambiguity, looking at how, again, I'm coming back to self again, which is obviously always going to be my thing. If you understand and are able to deal with um, ambiguity yourself as a leader and others can see that you're doing that. So yeah. it's no good you expecting everyone else to be okay with it and you're stropping around in a mood, you know, right. banging your door. You know, we've got to walk our talk. So I think mm. you you learning how, as a leader, how to manage ambiguity, but actually in the moment manage it and, mm. and almost model, help others model that this is how we do it around here. Because mm. I think that's also critical. It's not just it's not just the the moving forward. It's the how you deal with when there isn't ambiguity, mm. um, when there isn't that clarity. Sorry, and I think the other thing I was just going to say there, just to to reiterate what what you've said and also what I was saying, being able to share your story, your growth with everyone, so that everyone's mm. like, oh my gosh, I so want to be part of that. Whether you're a customer, whether you are an employee, whether you are anybody that's connected with that business, they want to be mm. part of it. They, they, mm. They're just excited to be part of it because it, it's going somewhere. And I think that people just love that. Mm. It's as simple as that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, I th you know, your point earlier about the person who's got, they did a big values exercise seven years ago. And since then, lots and lots of people have, I, I would argue, I, I, almost certainly, all the people who heard it seven years ago can't repeat any of the values that they actually shared seven years ago anyway. She she admitted that herself and she's the chief exec. She? <laughs> <laughs> she's, she said, she said, if you ask me or any of the senior leaders, she said, I think I would struggle to remember what it was. So what they've yeah. done is, which is very classic, they've had a, some sort of intervention where they've got some, probably someone in like me to, to do a piece around values. They've had a lovely day out or whatever. And then yeah. they've just become words on a document somewhere. Some businesses put them dust. up on, the, or some people yeah. put them up on the windows and it's all yeah. fabulous. But no, one, well. yeah. Yeah. no one is aligned to them. No one yeah. really knows what they mean to the business. And I think yeah. that is a massive piece around yeah. purpose and where you're going is, is to make sure that everyone understands the values piece and the alignment yeah. of that. Well, we've, I've, I've got, um, I'm, I'm a big fan of what you just said, by the way. There's, uh, yeah, how do you bring them to life? How do you bring their purpose and their values to life? Well, you don't do a big strategic exercise and then forget about it. It comes to life every week in the business. The values and the purpose shows up every week. I was in a, a board meeting with the firm earlier on this week and I, I've worked with them on their core purpose. And um, I had a stopwatch on to see at what point their central purpose would show up in this leadership meeting. And we got to 49 minutes and it showed up. You're like, mm, is that early enough? Is that early enough for that, you know, for everyone to be demonstrating this is our core reason for being? And I would, I would argue, no, it's not. I've yet to have yeah. that one-on-one -on -one with the managing director of that firm yet. So it's coming next week. Um, but similarly, the, the values piece is, you know, a yes, work out what they are, get clarity on them. You know, if you've got more than four, in my view, the brain will fail to actually uh, absorb them and recall them anyway. Uh, so do what you can to keep the numbers low. And then um, get the team to share a story every week in your team gathering yep. about one of the values. And, uh, you know, firms who are doing this are, are saying, actually, it doesn't take long. It doesn't take many weeks for everyone to realise this is the way we do it here.
Yeah. And use it and as a, a decision-making strategy yeah, as well. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, checking as you're about to make a decision in your business, just check, does this fit with our values? Does this decision And our purpose, fit? absolutely. Yep. Yeah, yeah, so. brilliant, brilliant. So we've got a few open loops here. We've got scarf, so we've got C and A, so we've got certainty Sorry, and autonomy. Yeah. Um, so the, but we've the still S, got the other, yeah. Okay, so the S is status, yeah. and that is how we see ourselves in relation to others. Yeah. Um, we've got certainty is the C, we've got autonomy is the A, we've got relatedness, so yeah. do we belong in the team, in the group, and then we've got fairness. And what the research says is if any of those are unsettled, we will be in a threat response, which obviously can be huge. You can lose mm. somebody's attention for days, weeks, even months based on mm. one thing that's happened. And if we've got all of those ticked, we are likely to be performing well. We will want to do things again. We will want to repeat. I mean, it's a mm. fantastic model. Um, it's a huge model. You can do all sorts with it. Mm. It is obviously Googleable. It's, um, there's sure. some great videos online to pick for people to oh, brilliant. have a little look. So if they just put in David Rock and Scarf, they'll find yeah. the... Uh, if, you yeah. Actually, if you actually put in David Rock, Scarf, um, animated, there is a four-minute right. four minute, uh, short video that's animated. I would recommend you turn the music down because it's a little bit annoying. But right. it's... <laughs> It's um, it's really just explains it in a really really great little cartoon way. Oh, brilliant. It's brilliant. Well, we'll put the we'll find the link and put it in the show notes of the podcast, uh, Alison. Thanks for that. And interesting that fairness is a key part, which is fits brilliantly with that Sorota study, which is the biggest study I've been able to find. And you look at some of the stuff that come out of Gallup in terms of employee uh, research. They 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 signpost exactly the same. Um, and, and and actually <clears throat> state it as a. The foundational because if there's not a sense of fairness all the other stuff almost disappears you know it's like what's the point in trying to build a sense of achievement or sense of confidence and certainty about the future if you're not treating people in a fair way exactly. um and that's that breakdown of well what do you really mean by fairness and that's a, a subject for another time um so you keep coming back to self-awareness alison which you'd expect to someone who's got the business called two minds uh, and presumably the two minds is yours and theirs working together in order to reach a better place whatever that means yep. um i've certainly experienced the upside benefits of that and we will do again in uh, in, a, in a month or so's time when we next get together um if there's one uh key that unlocks the door to um a how do i describe this a more a balanced way of tackling the day-to-day -day stresses because you know that, that comment earlier about um you know you as a leader have to uh, manage ambiguity first when when you were saying that i was going is that leaders actually being balanced no matter what is flying at them they just stay relatively calm and yet enthusiastic is that what you're signposting there no, I don't think so, because that wouldn't be realistic. I mean, at the end of the day, we will well, all have... A... That. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> we will all have an unconscious response to absolutely everything. We can't change that. That is normal. Yeah. Uh, you know, we will have a, a response that makes us feel cross. Alternatively, we'll have a response that makes us feel like we want to run away from it. Or we'll have a response where we're not sure what to do and we just freeze. So that fight, flight, yeah. freeze piece will happen for everything that ever happens to us. The, the right. trick is to be able to manage that piece of kit. And I think as leaders, what I often hear, you know, bearing in mind, I am often sent the, the staff to deal with. Uh, and yeah. actually, when you listen to what the manager's doing, um, 
they're just human too. But obviously, if you let people see that you are responding in a way that you follow on. And so I suppose the trick is to think about, yes, you're going to have the response. But if you follow on with that response, so if you stay angry, if you stay, if you shut your door and hide, you know, people aren't then going to be able to connect with you um, in the way that, you know, I, I always use the thing, walk your talk, you know, mm. the amount of leaders who, if you're being really honest with yourself, you know, are you behaving in a way that you want your team to behave Probably not, because if you're not aware of what you're doing and if you've always done it like this, then we all have our habits and ways of, I mean, it's, you know, I could give you a million different options to consider in, in any situation because we have so many different ways of talking, of, of listening, of, of behaving, so many habits that we all create. And I think mm. the more you are open to just wondering what you're, what you are doing yourself and what's going on, and then whatever you're doing will impact on everybody around you it's a it's a thing we can't get away from it yeah I, I, what i'm hearing is there's you know the, the whatever happens happens the, you know the proverbial hits the fan to use a better uh, an expression um and you can't help but react unconsciously and maybe uh everyone can see that but yep relatively quickly go oh, well let's have a conscious response now we've reacted one way what are we yep. going to choose to now how are we now going to choose to behave which again requires that awareness and consciousness which sometimes we um, um avoid the responsibility for that as leaders maybe i think so and i think you know what it, when it's as you to use your it hits the fan Mm. We often then will go back to habits that are you might have been trying to change. So you might go straight into telling people what to do. So you go straight back into the authority piece. Right. It's all gone wrong. This is what we're going to do when you start, you know, literally telling people what to do. Of course, in the wake of that will be all these staff members who have been trying to be creative and come up with all these wonderful things. And then something's mm. not worked out. And then people get fearful that that will be the response. And I'm not yeah. suggesting that all leaders out there are, are, are bolshy and shouting and bawling. I'm not suggesting that. But it, it but it's, it's still graded, you know, it's still that unconscious response. And mm -hmm. I think when leaders are very conscious about how they lead and what they are, what is in the wake, you know, I think mm -hmm. I've, I've seen it so many times where people are almost like, wow, really? Yeah, of course, nobody's thinking like me. Of course, they're going to all have yeah, their yeah, own yeah. ways of being. And I think the other thing that is critical is to to be, con be curious about the impact that you do have as the leader. Because mm. you often think, oh, no, I'm dead friendly and my door's always open and, you know, I'm, I'm all approachable. Yeah. But you're the boss, you know. And when we think about certainty and we think about threat, you know, at the end of the day, there are a lot of people who will fear that they've done something wrong. And then what happens? Yeah. You know, oh, my gosh, I'm going to get sacked. I've made a mistake. They go home to their families and say, I made a mistake yeah. today. I'm really yeah, worried. Career's ruined. Yeah, yep. yeah. And that yeah. brain, that piece of that, that from a mind perspective, that piece, if that bit of brain is triggered and people follow it, that's mm. when the catastrophizing starts. And they will think about the worst case scenario, I've lost my job and, and then they're not performing well and then they're mm. more likely to make a mistake and then we're in a loop. And I think yeah, that's yeah. where so many people Down are not... spiral that, isn't it? Yeah, it can yeah, be. Yeah, yeah. I guess if there's, if there's one unanswered question in my head now, Alison, from the time we've had together, is this, and I know it's caricature, but typically, and I, 
is it just a caricature? I've worked with the firm in the last seven to ten days and they've done a, a psychometric profiling exercise across their whole team, about 36, 37 people. And they've all of them, all of them have got in the, uh, you know, we're accountants, we want certainty, we want functional, you know, clarity about what we're doing. Um, you know, it's if it's black, it's black. And if it's white, it's white. The grey's not there. They've in the, they're in that box. And, and actually what's required is for some of them to step into this, you know, client engagement and leadership and management role, which has got lots and lots of ambiguity. Um, how do we how, how do we help more of those people get into a space which is going to help them, help their careers, help their firm and help their colleagues? Because don't get me wrong, all accountants need a blend and a balance of different styles of people, as does every business. But um, accountants clearly need more of the people people or more of the people building skills around the people, human, emotional, feeling, empathetic stuff. Uh, what do we do? What, what can they do to help themselves to become more that type of person? Or are they stuck in that box forever? Never, never stuck in a box. I think it is. It's just being OK with it, being OK, feeling vulnerable. Literally be okay with the fact that it feels new. Be okay with the fact that it isn't your necessarily your natural style, your your area of expertise yet. Mm. I think it's about, you know, being open to the fact that this feels new. I think for me that sort of people think being vulnerable and not knowing how to manage something is a negative, weak thing. But actually it's the opposite. You know, if you're going to be courageous and take your business or your style a different way... It, we will feel super vulnerable to start with, but yeah. I think just having the courage to say, okay, this is all new. I honestly think it, if you allow your mind to, to feel safer and to say to yourself, it's all right, it's okay to not feel okay, it's okay for this not to be okay, you start to change that instead of living in the fear of I can't do it, I don't know how to do it, I'm not that sort of person, how mm -hmm. am I, earth am I going to do it? Just by being able to be almost kinder to yourself. And just stick with the fact that it's okay. And then obviously then you can build skills. But for me, that if you've got a foundation to say, it's okay, I can do this. I've just got to learn how to do it. Right. It's almost seeing it as something like that. And I'm sure it won't be as uh, black and white as that, because I'm sure people Nothing will have skills. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I'm sure they'll have people skills. They won't be where they were if they didn't have some level of people skills. Yeah. So that, that's brilliant. So what you're saying is just cut yourself some slack. Yeah. yeah Take the pressure yourself. off. <laughs> Honestly. But, it, but, it, but seriously, from a mind perspective, if you are being hard on yourself, yeah. if you are expecting yourself to, to go to a completely different style that isn't necessarily, you know, comfortable or it's new for you, if you can go at it from a place of curiosity or a place of kindness, you will respond differently. You will learn things differently. If you go into it from a fear perspective, it's like your mind's shut to learning new things because your mind's gone into panic. Yeah, and then, you know, the cortisol and the adrenaline kicks in, which, you know, are natural hormones yeah. in the body, but they're not helpful, are they, in terms of what they do to you? So, nope, 100%. Um, uh, and I think David Rock talks about that as well, doesn't he, in his, his research in terms of the impact of cortisol on the, uh, the immune system and how it downgrades it. Oh. So, you know, that... Flight, fight, freeze piece is um, a natural human response. But ultimately, if you can get to a place where you're being kind to yourself, cutting yourself some slack 
and being okay with the uh, challenges and difficulties. Uh, I think that's brilliant, Alison. That's a great way to finish. So thank you very, very much for uh, investing your time and your energy in the subject. I know um, thanks to personal experience, you really know your onions, as the, uh, as, as the saying goes. So thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. You'll find more valuable discussions with the leaders of ambitious accounting firms at humanisethenumbers.online. You can also sign up to be notified each time a new podcast is made available. This podcast series, Humanise the Numbers, has been made possible thanks to the support of our sponsors, My Work Papers, Advanced Track, Satago and VFD Pro. Visit humanisethenumbers.online Click the logo of each sponsor and you'll hear what our podcast interviewees have to say about the sponsor's services.